Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. You know our good friends over there got all the good stuff. If international gear, the U.S. gear, FC Dallas gear, North Texas stuff, check out all the new Sport Design Sweden stuff with the coats and the hoodies, the sweatshirts, get you geared up for the fall and the winter, and they got everything. Third Degree listeners, when they use the code Third Degree, get 20% off your order over there, SoccerNight.com, everything you need for soccer. Some exclusions may apply. Hello there. FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to episode number 232 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and uh, today Dan Crook is gallivanting around the city that never sleeps, Las Vegas. Wait, is it Las Vegas is the city that never... Okay. No, yeah. that's New York. Oh, that's New York. What is... What's Vegas? What is? happens in Vegas, Vegas stays in Vegas. Can you only imagine the things that Dan Crook is into at this moment <laughs> that we'll never hear about in Vegas? The I debauchery? Yeah. Oh. Rots. Oh. That beer to his and that kind of... <laughs> Insanity, crazy stuff. There's uh, a really well, great, like, Hoffenbrau type house in Vegas that's fun near the Hard Rock. Maybe he's there. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, Dirk and Steve Nash used to go there all the time. Well, I hope uh, Dan is having too much fun uh, in Vegas. And of course, that voice is your hero. He's my hero. He's everybody's hero. He's the editor, founder of thirddegree.net and the original Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hey Peter, uh, we we got Dan back for one week, and then he went on vacation. <laughs> man, he's a he's a butterfly. He's a podcasting butterfly. Busy man. He is yeah. a very well. You know when it's when fun calls, you should go. There's only one lifetime. Yeah, and he does work like two jobs, so that's understandable. <laughs> well, I gotta be honest. I don't feel like he's missing much today <laughs> here on the pod buzz. If yeah. I don't mean to be a bummer right off the bat, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Here we are. We uh, joked about this at the end of the last pod is when we were last speaking, all three of us, we were kind of lamenting the fact or joking about the fact that Dallas had two home games and a road game to finish out the season. Mm. And really, you know, if they could just grab a win in those two, both a win in both of those last two home games, that would really set them up nicely for MLS Cup playoffs. But alas, Lucci comes to town. And it appears that Lucci and Nico had a meeting before the game and decided and agreed to play each other's style of game <laughs> uh, in some sort of weird bet that they made. And we ended up Dallas 1, San Jose 1. You were there for all of it, Buzz. Yeah. I, I don't know whether this is the, a cavalcade of ties or a smorgasbord of ties. There's a lot of ties happening. It's too many ties, Too many Buzz, ties, is yeah. what it is. Well, they're going to they're gonna back into the playoffs, apparently. So, yeah, we, I joked, you know, but it really is true that um, Lucci came to town and played Nico ball, which is, was, a, you know, a very stable, very rigid 4-4-2 with very defined roles and positions. Did not want any of the ball. Had a very, very low possession percentage. Uh, just was content to sit back. Of course, that was accelerated by the fact they got that early goal on a mistake um, from SC Dallas' defense. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, they, they didn't want – any Lucci ball at all, like you would normally expect Lucci's teams to play. And so Nico Carrera's team ended up with all the ball, and they ended up with something like 700 
passes, which is very much the old school luchi ball where you just pass it around endlessly. And don't you do it and don't do anything with it? Yeah, basically don't do squat with it. So that's the problem, of course, is that um, in the grand scheme of things, Dallas didn't particularly manage to do much with the ball. And the first half was really poor. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many it was, but I think they maybe had two or three shots on in the first half, um, you know, and not nearly the goal scoring opportunities that you would expect them to have with such domination of possession and a team, a team on the other end that wasn't really wanting to play. But then the second half by FC Dallas was completely different. The second half was um, proactive and aggressive and they created a lot more opportunities and put themselves in good positions uh, to to get goals and ended up getting a, a goal inside the game, but not enough to win the game. Um, so still, you know, a bit of a failure in terms of converting the chances. You know, it still wasn't a high volume of chances. This team is never a high volume team, but they did end up winning uh, the XG, which for me is only good for to tell you that they did create opportunities to score. You know, they ended up with a little bit over one and they got one goal. So San Jose was a little bit under one, most of which came in the first 10 minutes of the game when they got the one opportunity and scored and they never did anything else. So it really was an absolutely fascinating game in its reversal of the tactics that you would expect. You know, Lucci did Nico ball and Nico did Lucci ball. It was really weird. Um, you know, there are some things that you can take for going forward, which we can talk about some of which are in the midfield. But uh, overall, just a really weird game in terms of the expectation versus the reality. Can we just stop for a second and lament the fact of how disappointing that that is the product that we ended up on the field after all of our excitement of the lineup, which is the same lineup that we thought we were going to get for the postponed Colorado game uh, the week prior, yeah. which had this feel of a lot of flexibility and possibility in terms of it being, a, a, a at least on paper, felt like more of an attacking for a, a 11 than what we had been getting out of Nico lately. Yeah, I think that was the thing that was nice about it is if you remember, we went back to the previous game or two when they, the team played this three man at the back, you know, three, four, three type formation. We saw a fair bit and they completely abandoned the midfield and got overrun at midfield and they had nothing to provide in that area. Well, this was the opposite of that in the sense that they put more bodies into the midfield, a lot of whom were really good passing uh, midfielders. Uh, you know, it didn't really have a pure six, a pure ball winning six and ended up with the, you know, two guys that can progress the ball on, by foot or by pass, you know. And so in that terms, you expected to, there to become chances with it. Uh, and Yara Mindy had this absolutely ridiculous amount of passes into the the final third. I think it was like 17 or something, which is just an absurd amount of, of, of passes into that area. But they weren't able to really capitalize. Like the, the, the last pass, the last connection was sort of off, uh, particularly in the first half more than the second half. But, um, you know, we just did not see – we saw the offense there in terms of possession – we saw the offense there in terms of connecting passes and, and, and passes into the danger zones, but it didn't result in scoring opportunities. And that, and that's a little bit of a concern. Well, I think it's a big concern Yeah, <laughs> because that's what brings well, excitement and makes it team <laughs> fun to watch and ultimately helps win games. Uh, I guess the question is, what was the difference? You talk about the, the game being kind of a disaster in the first half, but much improved in the second was there something clearly changed by Nico between the two halves that led to that? Um, I don't, I don't really know. You know, it, it was a, 
the example of the disaster is that Dallas had 68% of the possession in the first half, but was outshot eight to two. So, you know, that, that's what I meant by like it was pro Lucci played prototypical Nico ball, which is very low possession. But when you got the ball, you played forward in rapid transition and got opportunities. So I don't, I don't know what directly contributed to the change. You know, Nico in the post game press conference talked about a poor mentality when the game started um, you know, maybe that they were feeling the pressure and that he had never really noticed a reaction to that before, you know, that they had been, that they had such a bad reaction to the moment like that. But he felt like, um, coach said this, that he felt like that they adjusted to it probably through the first half. And in particular in the second half, they really accelerated the thing. And I think mostly it was, it seems to be from what his comments were that they just sort of talked about the, the buzzword of the season, which is mentality. They've been talking about it all year. And to just be positive and not be negative and try and be the protagonist. You know, we use the word a lot to just be active and keep going and not let it get to you. You know, it, it just it just was a um, mental change to, to my eye. And I joked that did did Nico go into the locker room and start throwing trash cans? Because that's kind of how they reacted. It was like they just woke up and actually started to play. You know, and, and when I read the quote about him saying that they reacted poorly in the start mentally, and I was like, oh, okay, that, I buy that. Then maybe he did throw trash cans and get it straightened out because it really was weird uh, how bad it was in the first versus the second. So do you – I guess the question is, if, if in fact we can agree that the, the 11 they threw out there for this game was by and large it's potentially its most attacking 11 that you're going to get out of yeah. Nico in a game – Yet the result is a, a really low level of opportunity creation and creativity. What, what's I guess the first question is, where is that falling short in that 11? Or is it a purely a tactical problem? And B, how in the world are they ever going to solve that? Yeah, well, some of the um, issue, I think, is that they used Obreon um, as a striker um, next to uh-huh. Jesus Ferreira. And so Obreon was more of the center channel striker. And so Jesus was given a role that was sort of playing off of Obreon, but also a lot of it was next to him and a lot of it was behind him. And there were big chunks where Jesus was going back and playing, you know, deeper and trying to facilitate. And, and I've talked to coach about this, you know, and he's talked to Jesus about it, you know, and, and I know Jesus is probably just, trying to do too much, you know, he's trying, he feels like he needs to be on the ball more to help his team, you know? And so if you end up with Obreon in the center channel, uh, who, by the way, was my man of the match, we should talk about that, you know, (laughs) funny enough, because when I watched the first half, Obreon was the player that seemed like he was interested in being the protagonist, the interested in doing things and was aggressive, was running people and then put in a work rate the whole 90 minutes and did not seem affected by the mentality in the first half. And so that's why he was my man of the match. And he did end up scoring the goal. But, you know, when you take Jesus slightly out of that center role, you know, I think that hurts you regardless of Obreon's performance. I think that generally hurts you in your ability to produce things in the final third. It meant that, you know, Areola was on one side. It meant that Velasco was on the other side instead of being in the middle. But, of course, Velasco plays outside in and ends up in the middle a lot of the times, sort of almost in the same space Jesus is in. You know, and so you're not really getting these final box creations of opportunities and chances. Now they turned, they changed all that, not not positionally, but in terms of the outcome in the second half. So again, I think it just came back to the idea of 
being being proactive. You know, we talk about this defensively all the time that you can defend but still be proactive. And this was kind of the same way. They had the ball all the time, but they weren't um, uh, making things happen with it in the first half. In the second half, they were able to make things happen. And a lot of time, it, it really is just comes down to, um, you know, the mind, the willpower, the attitude. You know, that a lot of times that's the difference between at the highest levels of soccer are those things. And so they made that whatever adjustment the coach made. I don't think it was tactical. I really think it was just waking everybody up. Hence the joke about throwing trash cans in the locker room. I don't actually know that he did that, but that surely seemed like what it was because they reacted appropriately. You do realize that when you post your the instant reaction three things video after a game and you announce. For those of us who have yet to watch the game that uh, Obreon is your man of the match, that, at least for me, is a huge bummer and makes me not want to watch the game. Does it? <laughs> yes. If, if Hot Air Obreon with Jesus and Paxton and Idara and all these other players that I really, you know, think are quality, and, and I'm finding out that hot air is outplaying all of them and winning man of the match that t- and i also know the game ends up one yeah. one that just tells me that this is not a good performance and mm. worries me about this team especially at a time as you're a run into the playoffs and you're fighting for a playoff position because they don't have this thing locked up i mean there's a yeah we'll talk about this in a little bit there's a very clear scenario dallas just misses out on the playoffs altogether at this point yeah likely but it is a scenario yeah, well, I think it's important to remind people that sometimes I put um, expectations are part of my choices on man of the match. You know, like Jesus is almost always Dallas's best player by a lot of metrics, but that doesn't mean he's going to be man of the match 34 times. You know, in, the, in this particular case, Obrian was man of the match because of his mentality that he didn't suffer in the first half like almost everybody else did. But you can't say that there weren't other people that were worth discussing. Like Yaramondi, like I mentioned, he had these 17 passes into the final third, which is just an obscene amount of – he had 130 touches, which is just ridiculous. And and, and passed at a 94% clip out of the central midfield. That's Again, just ridiculous. absurd, those numbers. But, you know, we, we've come to expect absurdities from him. So, you know, picking him again seemed a little like – because it's not like he – unlocked these great assists or key passes. Like, again, it wasn't quite working. You know, he, like the coach was telling me that like, um, he already, like in the short time he's been here, he's already one of the league leaders and basically like threw balls into danger areas. I can't remember exactly what he, what, how he described it, but basically like he's unlocking teams like nobody has ever done here, you know, in this very short stint here. And Paxton had a really nice game too. Paxton by only had 83 touches, but still was like an 85% passing and had 10 progressive passes and a normal sort of seven into the final third, which was still really, really good. He just didn't have a, a game compared, you know, a, 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 by our comparison of what we expect out of him, you know, with Obreon in terms of his mentality that was to me jumped out so much. So there were other people that good, good performances, but you can also see those numbers being inflated by the nature of the game, the 700 passes by FC Dallas in the Lucci ball kind of way. So you're right that there's a worry here in the sense of, yes, this is the most offensive team they put out on the field, but we we've talked many times before when a team goes into a low block, how hard it is for Dallas to break them down. That remains to, to be a problem. You know, they still have not solved that issue of teams low blocking them, even with the Aramendi who put up some staggering numbers, trying to get balls into those good positions. That just shows you how difficult it is to break a team that is playing that way. 
Yeah, unless this team somehow figures out a way to get into the playoffs and make a really deep run, if not completely win MLS Cup, I I have so many questions about where this thing goes next season, who's here, who's not. And I know that's all uh, a future episode of this podcast. Probably several. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It is, but I I just think it continues to be this fascinating conversation about what feels like this never-ending cycle of unfulfilled promise. <laughs> I just, you know, yeah. it's like you can, I don't know, man. It's just, it's weird to me that we're at this point and, and I, and, and I said this the other day in the discord, I may have even put it on Twitter and then somebody called me out on it, which was my greatest fear in life. And this is an exaggeration, but it is a great fear I have in life buzz. Yeah is that FC Dallas wins MLS Cup playing like the 2010 Colorado Rapids. <laughs> yeah, or 2010 FC Dallas, for that matter. Uh, well, yeah. okay, Super they were defensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and everybody was like, I can't believe you'd say that. I, you, I'd gladly take any MLS Cup. And of course, yes, of course, yeah. I would take any MLS Cup, and I'd, I would celebrate it with everybody. I would run around and cheer and wave my shirt over my head and then I much like I did when I was a small child on Christmas morning and my parents finally gave me a bike and I stood there and celebrated but quietly inside and wrongly (laughs) I might add uh cringed at the fact that it was a huffy and not a schwinn yeah not a mongoose yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> not, not a I'd forgotten about the. Mongoose. I was a mongoose guy. Yeah, I had the with the with the mags wheels. Yep. Yeah, so I'm with you, brother. Yeah, let's talk 2010 Rapids and just for context, for people that don't know, 2010 Rapids finished. I think it was fifth in the West, and this is when four teams got in from each conference. But that one year, they did a weird <laughs> thing where the if you had a better record as fifth in the West than the fourth in the East, you got in. Right. So the Rapids went to the Eastern Conference bracket. Then there was an upset in the other half of the bracket, and the Rapids beat their team in advance, and then beat like the fifth, the, the, the third place team to get to the final. So the Rapids, who were trash most of the year, got to MLS Cup, and then proceeded to play a you know put a box around David Ferreira and play pretty rough, you know, and and I I think really thugged the game up. Although if you look at the fouls, they're relatively even. Dallas was a very defensive, very foul-happy team, too. But, you know, they beat the tar out of David Ferreira. And there's a whole another discussion we had by why Heath Pierce didn't play in that game, which is a, just an amazing stories all the way around. But the point is, I know what you mean, and I know why you fear that. Your fear is that Dallas limps into the playoffs with this hunt, don't spend a lot of money methodology, and then wins MLS Cup and reinforces that thing. And we're left with mediocre middle-of-the-pack Dallas for the next 20 to 30 years. So I, I well, totally yeah. get your I mean, fear, yeah. Look what happened to Colorado. Yeah. They won MLS Cup, and, you know, and it is. It's There's a bit of me just trying to be funny in all of that, but there is. it is honest. Like, I, I, I do want this club to win MLS Cup more than anything else in my sporting life. Like, there's nothing else I want more in, out of any team I support than Dallas to win MLS Cup. And ultimately, I will celebrate it no matter how it wins it. I just would prefer it if it came with some sort of uh, level of uh, of being a team that is fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I totally understand, and I, you know, I, and that's one of the things that, where I've always said all along that you know it's hard for fans to understand that generally speaking, we've been relatively blessed in Dallas in the sense that they're pretty consistently in the top half of the standings. They're pretty consistently in the playoffs. They've only missed what eight times in twenty eight. 
29 years now, but that's not the same as what you're talking about, which is enjoyable, fun, attacking soccer versus the couple of times that Dallas has gone really deep in the playoffs and had their very best teams. They've also been, they've mainly been pretty defensive teams, even Oscars teams, which at times can be really sexy were often defensive teams that counterpunched, kind of like this current team does, you know, in some ways. So I know what you mean, and I understand why it's your fear. Yeah, I, it's just, I feel like we just keep saying the same thing every week on this podcast, which is lamenting how uh, how maddening it is that this team is performing at this kind of weird middle of the road, hey, we're doing whatever, just grind it out kind of performances. Whatever it takes to get the point, or, or maybe playing not to lose more than to win. And it now, officially for the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks, or approximately seven weeks, of six of those games, we've gotten a draw. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, here's the other part. I said this last week. Are we looking a gift horse in the mouth? Because in that exact same period of time, they've yet to lose a game. Yeah. That's an interesting question. And a coach told me today that there's a stat that they that this company that they use that does a lot of metric stuff, and one of the stats is, you know, how many times you find yourself basically point blank on the keeper with a chance to score. And Dallas is like third or fourth in the league in that, that stat. So you know, other than Jesus, who's a pretty clinical finisher generally when he gets in that position he's not been the last month or so but usually he's pretty clinical in that position but nobody else is and that's that's been a running theme all year and i think the reason why the, the hunts hired this coach in the first place is that he is more like oscar in the sense than lucci oh and really in, the, in a way probably like shellis's too shellis's teams are very defensive they like this these these coaches who can use the hunt way which is the academy and mid-tier, mid-price journeyman veterans from South America or Europe. They're not going to go spend a lot of money. You know, maybe get a couple of solid Americans here or there. And but we expect you to be able to compete with that, right? They're not going to. They're not going to do an LAFC. And I get it, man. That sucks sometimes as a fan. But I think that's why we end up with the coaches we end up with here is because you have to be able to convince them that you can compete with that. And that's why Dallas plays the way they play. Yeah. I, but I do feel like that that all of that uh, also fails to give credit where it's due to the Hunts and Zanata in making the moves that they made last year to get Ariola and to get Legette and to get uh, Velasco previous to that that yeah. made this team last year the exciting or at least more exciting uh, team than it was than it has been this year. And also uh, the unfortunate situation of circumstance, injury, personal stuff going on that kind of removed a lot of those guys out of the equation for much of, if not all of this season, which I think is the real reason why this team in, this season's been such kind of this stagnant thing. Yeah, what a conversation we'll be having because the defense is pretty much putting up similar numbers to last year. You know, if, if Ariola doesn't fall off, if Legette doesn't fall off, if you don't have this in this rash of injuries that is we've almost never seen a rash of injuries like this before in a single season here. I mean, mm -hmm. it does happen, but it hasn't happened here particularly. So like if, if you don't have those two confluences of things, where would this team be in the standings? We'll be we'll be having this conversation. So, you know, I, I think in the that I think that the chance creation, I bet if you went and looked you know, I bet it would be similar to last year and that the fall off is just the fall off in these people of converting the, mm -hmm. that Areola not having the, the goals and the assists and Velasco not making a jump forward. 
that we would have expected in, in goals and assists. Uh, Legette falling off in goals and assists. O'Brien's the same this year as he was last year. Jesus is pretty much the same this year as he was last year, minus a couple of fall-offs in the last month or so post-national team hangover. But really, it's pretty much the same team. You know, what's the difference? It's the injuries and the fall off in a couple of guys, which, as we've talked to death, might just be mental and off field stuff as much as anything. Well, I think all of those uh, talking points are components of why whatever future discussion we have about the 2024 season uh, will be fascinating because. Yes. Fixing. I'm sure there's an argument to be made that the promise of next season is found in just a certain number of people, A, staying healthy, and B, performing better, or alternatively, getting rid of a bunch of guys or selling guys mm. and replacing with new bodies, which feels like a rebuild to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you remember this last winter, we talked about how Dallas kind of stood pat and didn't really do anything. Um, I don't think the fall off is because of that, the, the standing pat thing. So I think that there'll be, I think there'll be proactiveness to a certain amount extent, but I also don't think it's going to be a rebuild. Well, yeah, I think, I think their activity in changing this team will be predicated on how much money they generate from the sale of any player, probably, which again, makes this conversation even more crazy, which is if they make a lot of changes because they got a lot of money, that means they sold, say, uh, Jesus. Yeah, or Allen. <laughs> or Allen, yeah. yeah. And suddenly yeah. now they're replacing a critical, if not the most critical component of their team. Man, I think it'd be tough to sell Jesus right now. He's pretty cold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and remember okay. the winter. Yeah. There's New no conversation. <laughs> yeah, there's no money in the winter. Remember, the, the money's in the summer. That's when the, that's yeah. the problem. So it's like uh, foreign money. I mean, you know, because that's mid-season for them, not beginning of season. So they don't, there's more money on the table for various people. Um, in the winter, in, in the come summer, on. than the winter. Come on, Buzz. He's going to get hot here in the next week, right? I mean, he could oh, into the playoffs. That's the thing. On. Like, if they get in, that's the thing. Is like because they keep every game really tight. All these ties, right? All you have to have happen to this team to be incredibly successful and make a run is say Seuss gets hot. You know, if he bangs in a goal a game or one point five goals a game in the playoffs, they'll be they'll march all the way to the, the cup, mm-hmm. you know, because they, their defense is good enough that the game will be zero or one goals from the other team. And so does Jesus get you a goal or a goal and a half every other game or whatever, and then you're marching on. So, I mean, that's the way this team's built, and that's all it takes. It's just for him to sort of find it again. All of a sudden, it's crazy. You know, Kamingo yeah. will be healthy. He can steal a big game. Oberon every once in a while steals a game. You know, maybe all of a sudden Ariola shows up. You know, I mean, we'll see. He was getting better lately, so... I mean, there's a lot of ifs and buts there. I'm sure they're not going to predict any of that. I'm just saying, you, 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 among all these seven or eight ties is the 3-1 smashing of Real Salt Lake, who, by the way, is way up there in the standings compared to where Dallas is. They've fallen a little. The damn league is so tight. If Dallas wins both these games, they could be fourth. It's so stupid how tight the West is. You know, I mean, they're not going to win both of them, but uh, yeah, we're not going to tie both no, you're correct. So just so everybody knows, the way this has played out is Dallas is in ninth on 42 points, but with a game in hand on everybody that's around them with the exception of Salt Lake, which yeah. also has two games. Now, Salt Lake's two games are both on the road, 
at the Galaxy and at Colorado. So I guess if you had two road games to be had, yeah. those might be the two you'd wish for the most. Same two games Dallas has. Yes, exactly true. Except and and Dallas gets the benefit of having Colorado in um, Dallas yeah. uh, in Dal- or in Frisco. Frisco, yeah. whatever. Same standard yeah. model. And I think I don't. I haven't quite figured out if this actually plays in Dallas's favor or not, Buzz. And maybe the answer to this is obvious, and you'll go, "No, Peter, duh." The fact is, the fa- the reality is, the if they're going to get caught, Dallas. It's either by Kansas City or Minnesota, and those two teams play each other on decision day in Kansas City, and they're a point behind. Yeah, it's so hard to really say because there's so many teams in that pack. You know, you, you really have to look at the, everyone that's not clinched, Portland, San Jose, Dallas, Kansas City, Minnesota. Those five teams, It's there's five teams for three spots. Mm-hmm. So the fact that two of them play each other, if they tie, that benefits Dallas. But if one of them wins, that team jumps up and makes it harder for you. Well, but here's the problem. If Dallas was to lose out, God forbid, and Kansas yeah. City and Minnesota tie, if I understand the tiebreaker correctly, Kansas City would be the ninth seed team because the first tiebreaker is total numbers of wins, and Kansas City has 11 and Dallas has 10. Yeah, they, it sounds like they would be out, but I don't know that if one of them wins that that wouldn't just be the same thing because they would jump no, ahead of No, you're even. right. I'm just yeah. saying, uh, yeah, no, you're correct. I'm just saying it doesn't require Kansas City to win that game. Yeah, for Just them to actually leap Dallas if Dallas mm, somehow fair. completely farts two of these game these well, last two games point. in a row. Yeah. But you know, Minnesota winning, I don't know, that would just be that would be just as bad because then they'd be on forty four and you'd be out. So yes, you know, correct. effectively it doesn't matter what anybody else does because Dallas has two games, right? I mean they their magic number is I think three. So like two ties doesn't even get it done. You know, because so if Dallas was to get one draw out of these next two games and go to 43 and Minnesota wins that game, I'm sorry, if if Dallas was to draw the next two games and just continue with their form and end yeah. up on 44, right? And Minnesota uh, won the game over Kansas City, I'm calculating quickly. So they both would, ha- uh, Minnesota would then also beat Dallas on the first tiebreaker of total number of wins. Yeah. And you you would need somebody ahead of you. Like if one of the teams behind you won, they would jump you, but one of them would not. And you would need somebody that's on 43, either Portland or San Jose to lose. Correct. Then you could tie your way in. But that's what I mean. Like you can't tie your way in and get it confirmed. You have to, you have to have help if you tie your way in. You need to win one of these games, and then it's out of everybody else's hands. Yes, correct. And San Jose's final yeah. game is a home game against Austin, um, which is a crazy story. And yeah. uh, Portland has that very important game uh, against Houston in Portland. I mean, that's probably the toughest one is is Portland against Houston because Houston's really good, but then Houston's also clinched. Yeah. You know, and San Jose plays the, a crap Austin team, but, you know, any team that's – this is the problem with any team in the bottom is that whether they've changed coaches or not, they're playing for jobs. Like, if you're one of those teams, you know your team's going to get turned over. So you whether it's by the coach you get to keep, like Wolf, or whether it's the coach that's going to come in, like Colorado. Maybe it's the coach that they have as an interim, but maybe it's somebody new – Either way, you're playing on tape for somebody who's going to be reviewing this team. So those guys are going to be fighting and clawing. You know, this isn't like the league you're in where it doesn't matter. These guys are fighting for jobs and careers and livelihoods for their families. So I know that we don't have relegation here, and people talk about that lack of pressure. 
putting food on the table is pressure when you're a professional. You know what I mean? Like, cause if you stink it up for one of those teams, you're going to be out of MLS back down somewhere making 20 grand. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not the same as a, a team in, where you get relegated from the premier league down to the championship. You're still making 5.2 million, you know, it's a different world. Well, decision day is uh, uh, more than a week away. So this weekend, there's only two teams out of this group playing again. Dallas obviously is hosting Colorado and Salt Lake is at the galaxy. And once those two games are played, Decision Day, uh, the impact or, or the value of Decision Day will become far more clear um, because yep. uh, Salt Lake could be, uh, after that game, arguably D- Dallas could be uh, just behind Salt Lake ahead of Portland going into Decision Day. Salt Lake could be as high as third going into Decision Day and pushing, you know, so everybody's yeah. going to want to battle for position because no ever you know you, I certainly you want to be one of the four uh home field advantage teams. Yeah, if if you win this Colorado game this game in hand, then you're you've clinched. But that doesn't mean that the Galaxy game is not important because you you don't want the play in game. You want to be one of the teams that gets to have a little bit of time. It's not long. It's just a couple of days off. You don't have that extra game where you can get knocked out. You know, and there there is a series happening here in the first round, so there is a home field advantage to, to it. You know, maybe it's not as critical as if it's a one off, but there still is value there. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're definitely playing for stature. You know, you want a worse opponent than than a better opponent. So even if you win the Colorado game, and by me all means, you definitely need to win the Colorado game because you don't want to put it into going to LA to win, no. you know, win that last game. Cause they're going to be fighting for jobs and, and they would love both those teams love to screw with Dallas and knock them out. You know, that's the history with both those teams screwing over Dallas for sure. So, I was just, sit, I was sitting here listening to us discuss all these permutations of how this could play out and how ridiculous it is, and then I yeah. flash back to ten minutes ago when you were trying to explain the twenty ten MLS playoff structure yeah. <laughs> where one, one team qualified for another conference's playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> and ended this up league, winning MLS Cup. They did as a team that shouldn't have qualified yeah. for the playoffs. That's the most frustrating part is they shouldn't even have been in the damn playoffs. <laughs> they were. <laughs> They were like, I, if I remember correctly, like at that time, there were six teams in each conference. So they were fifth out of six teams and got into the playoffs yeah. one MLS Cup. It was just the worst. So frustrating. And but hey, Brett's Drew Moore. Goal, yeah. No less. Yeah, good for Drew Moore. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. makes me laugh. What yeah. a league. What a league. Uh, and hey, it's the other, our league. The other, yes, it is our <laughs> league. Uh, and the other comment, there's observation. Am I wrong in feeling like we nobody is talking enough about the fact that St. Louis won the Western Conference in its debut season? Boy, yeah. that's Well, no, I think people are talking about that. I think people underestimate them, though. Like, people, I think, are assuming that they're just, they're like some fluke. They're not really as good as they, oh. on paper. But they definitely are built to win in this league. And, and the thing I will point out to demonstrate that, goals for obviously is ridiculous at 62. But look at their away record. Six away wins tells you that they're legit, right? That's when any team that's anywhere close to 500 or more on the road, you know, and that's not 500, six, eight, and three, but it's pretty close to 500, which makes you wonder how, what's wrong with Real Salt Lake, that their road record is about way above 500 and their home record's terrible, but that's a whole different ball game. But I think St. Louis is legit. They're not, they don't play like most people in this league. They don't try and possess the ball and pass it around. They're like an old school U.S. 
team from the nineties where they just go like a track meet, you know, and they just run at you every time, you know, they don't want to pass the build around in the back. They just, you know, they don't crush it route one, not, you know, but they definitely just get up and go in a hurry. Don't really seem to care about possession that much. They're, they're a fascinating team. Well, they also uh, have to be the prototype for any future expansion. I mean, if I'm San Diego, I'm immediately trying to get my team put together and put in USL and play a season or two yeah. before you come into the league. So you have some something established, not just – and not just players per se, but at the whole process of getting ready to play and understanding what it is to be a team and practice and all of those kind of things. Uh, I, I, I'm a big believer that a part of the reason why San St. Louis has been so successful this year is because of all the work that organization did uh, in the year or two prior to coming. Yeah. Into MLS. Pl- playing a next pro ahead of time. That was so valuable for them. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, get all their, you know, everybody. And they and they did a really nice job with all their foreign signings. As far as I know, they hit on almost all of them, you know, if not all of them. You know, they, they just really did a really nice job building that team. Uh, okay, so Colorado comes to town Saturday, Buzz. This is the game that did not get played a little over a week ago due to weather. Yeah. Hopefully, and, and what's crazy is the weather is going to be amazing this weekend. Um, and so – right. What do you think Nico rolls out? Is he roll? Uh, is he just struggle for the point, or what do we do no, here? No, um, I think. Well, first off, I went to train today, and it was a really nice energy uh, to training. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily driven by coach. The players themselves seem to be um, not not frustrated and like moping but frustrated and like angry that they're getting all these damn ties and so there was a really uh, a positive and aggressive attitude which i really liked seeing because sometimes you get a team that's feeling sorry for themselves and they don't really they just kind of mope a little this Side is not question Side yeah question sure go ahead. how much of that vibe do you think is tied to the fact that they're out there practicing in 70 degree weather oh i definitely think yeah degree weather well, there's, it certainly is more comfortable for sure, you know, and it, it allows you to be um, more aggressive and you don't have to worry about burnout quite so much. But this team, you know, has always uh, under this coach, you know, they, they run training in a way that keeps it really um, moving and quick, you know. But I do wonder over the course of the year, of course, how bad that gets in terms of the burnout. You know, I, I don't know that I would put all the injuries that happened this year down to that because they did it last year, too, and it was fine. So I'm hoping that what I'm seeing wasn't just weather related, but actually was the mentality related because there was an aggressiveness to it that was really nice, you know, both mentally and physically. So that was real positive. Um, I will say that both Yara Mendy and Facundo um, were not in training. And I did ask about that specifically. Uh, Yara Mendy was jogging on the side and he said, basically, they're just both old dudes and they're just protecting them a little bit, you know, basically, you know, they don't, they don't want to have either one of those players, you know, get lost for the back of the season, you know, so it's a little bit of like Mauro Diaz style, um, you know, physical management, even though they're only playing once a week, they're not spring chickens, those two guys. And so um, Jose Martinez, who's not a spring chicken either was in there, but um, Facundo and Yaramendi both just precautionary sat out. So I don't, while, like, you might look on paper and say, oh, I'm a little worried about whether they'll be available. Coach said, no, no, there's no problem. They're both going to be available. So even though they didn't participate in training today. Um, but in terms of what you'll see on the field, I think they really liked um, the offensive set that we talked about, the, the double eight look. Now, in execution, 
Iramandi sat deeper and played that sixth role as a, almost as a, not quite, but almost like a single pivot. Paxton was always dropping in next to him all the time, but he basically stayed there as the fulcrum and, and, and slung the ball around from there. They really liked that. And they really liked um, what Obreon gave them up the center channel. You know, I of course was immediately worried about, well, what does that mean in terms of Jesus walking around the field and where is he going to be? And is he going to be in the right positions? Coach obviously knows that that's a problem and, and has conversation with Jesus about that. So I think you'll see something very similar to what you saw last game, in fact. Um, I don't think there's going to be any more rotation at all going forward. I don't think you have to worry about man management in the game, particularly, you know, obviously giving Yaramendi and Facundo Wednesday off is no big deal. That's part of that process, but... Um, I did, I did, I did question him on, it seems like that you've stopped rotating the center backs. And he said, yeah, that, that battle pretty much has been solidified with the, the combo that you're seeing, you know, that we all know that Martinez has this, um, problem going 90 minutes, you know, with the legs and the other, and the heat and various things like that. So you, you might see Martinez a little more, but you won't, I think you'll see Ibiaga and Martin, Nicosi the rest of the way, um, as your center back combo. Ema has been doing pretty good at right back. And then that, the Paxton Yarmendi combo in midfield was really good. I don't know. No reason why you wouldn't see that again. And then, which just leaves you Ariola, Velasco, uh, Obreon and, and, um, Jesus up front, you know, mm. I don't, I don't think there's, there's not anybody in my opinion. And I don't think, I think most people would agree. Like if you watch this team play, there's nobody that's not in that starting group that's that's like beating the door down like I need to be starting. You know, like Kamungo has his moments, but you when you when you play him over the course of 90 minutes, there'll be big chunks that aren't right. Dante Sealy, same thing. Moments that are really good, but moments that are not so great. You put Facundo back in there, yes, defensive stability, some steel, but you lose something in terms of the ability to pass forward or dribble forward that you get with Paxton and Yaramendi. Now I, I would have before been worried in terms of that double combo. Like, is there somebody that's going to win the ball back enough in those positions? But then you look at what Yaramendi does with his recoveries and interceptions that are just blowing everybody else out of the water in terms of this team, in terms of the numbers he puts together, which by the way, is a circle back to the argument or not argument. The point I tried to make a couple months ago about how I hate people that tackle too much. I prefer a six that intercepts and recovers. That's what you saw when Iramani played six this week was the kind of six I like, which is intercepts and recoveries, not flying two footed studs up bullshit. So, so you, you prefer Iara to Facundo. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause if you ever wanted yeah. to, if you ever wanted to kind of uh, demonstrate your differences between those two styles, those would be the two players to, yeah. to, to point to, I think. Yeah. The only way it could be worse is if you, if you went back to Daniel Hernandez and the way he just destroyed people, yeah. you know, I, I don't occasionally <laughs> mind. Now let's be clear. I'm not talking about a tackle where you run up to a guy and you take the ball away from him and move away. I'm talking about like a, you know, when you sliding and wiping dudes out, that's the kind of tackling I don't need or want to me. That means that you've made a mistake, you know? And so Facundo is not a flying two footed reckless like that, but he definitely is not the progressive passer and game reader and pass cutter that Yaramendi is. Well, you know? I, I, I'm going to say, I bet I can, I bet 
Facundo goes to ground more in one game oh. than we've seen Ilara do go to ground the entire time he's been here. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would be hard pressed to remember a single time that Aramendi has done that. Right. And Co- Coach and I even had a laugh today about we we always circle back to Messi with this is the quit running thing, you know, because Aramendi doesn't run hardly either, you know, he, but he's always in the right place. You know, and there there is still a quality to the, to the reading what a guy that's played for that started in La Liga for twelve years or whatever. There's a different caliber of player there than we have yet to see in this league. You know, from a domestic, you know, coming through homegrown or whatever. I just whacked the crap out of my mic. So you know, to to me, I think there's a way forward with that sort of look. Whether it's a pure double like we kind of saw last time, you know, or or whether it's tip, typically. You know, in that game, Yarmini was definitely the stay-at-home player, and Paxson had the freedom to go, but he wasn't like up next to Jesus or anything. You know, he definitely was. You know, it definitely was more of a double kind of combo in my mind. In there, um, have you had a conversation with anybody, Nico in particular, about uh, Ilara's future here and the likelihood of him resigning and staying for the twenty-four season? I have not. Um, I kind of was waiting sort of towards the end of the year on that. But I mean, just having a conversation with coach about him today and how good he is, I can't imagine that they won't pick up the option. Um, you know, the whole idea of having it just be an option was so that like if he came here and was just can't cut it anymore, that you would be like, hey, you know what? That Thanks. That's good. But like, obviously he can. Yeah. I mean, the numbers he's putting up are just obscene, you know, you can use your eyes and just see what he does. That's so immaculate. But if you can't see it, if you're a person who can't read the game and that's fine, that we have lots of fans that are new, you know, or just don't have that kind of uh, thought process. You can dig into the numbers yourself and look that he's just doing absolutely extraordinary things with the ball. Or you could just trust good buzz. Yeah. (laughs) And that if buzz tells you he's kicking ass, just take it and assume it is so. (laughs) Or, or, you know, any, any coach that, you know, that'll watch the game will tell you that dude's just doing amazing things. Now, now maybe they weren't sure that he would be more of a kind of like this six role. Remember they talked about him being an eight, but there is still a place for a guy, depending on who you're playing, you know, there might be a situation where you want a, a a guy in there that's more of a defensive pure stopper, you know, a Frazier or a Facundo. We're not, that's not the end of those kinds of players. I just yeah. think that for the purposes of this season, where the problem is chance creation and finishing and not defensive stalwartness, you know, we haven't seen – you put Yaramendi in there, there's no drop-off in the defensive stalwartness of this team. You know, so it's perfectly fine. It functions that way just as well as it does before. Yeah, one of the frustrations is that prior to Ilara getting brought here in the window is we spent the first half of this season getting frustrated over the lack of having a midfielder who is doing some creative stuff out of midfield and cre- and kind of doing that first stage of um, attacking creation and creating opportunities. Yep. At not in the box or in the final third, but somewhere between the middle third and the final third. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now they've got a guy that's there and is doing it at an extremely high level, and they don't seem to have the next step of it to con- to the take all of that creation and turn it into op- actual opportunities. And 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 so the idea that you would have an entire off season to either a get the guys that you've got on the roster to figure that out and execute on it, or b find players that can because you've got this guy is exciting to think about for the, for the next season. Yeah. I mean, back then we talked a lot about how uh, Edwin Cerillo would shield and dribble away to relieve pressure and then pass. Whereas Facundo was more of a pure progressive passer from his position. Yeah. Now, neither one of them 
you know, can do both of those things together. They all, they were both one was good at one and one was good at the other, but Yaramani can do both of them really well, you know, and, and the amount of times he is in the right position to cut off a play and circle it back, even without a tackle, just being there and picking up the ball and, and, and turning it back in and making them recycle their whole defense and their build out. It's just really, really high. There are multiple times a game where I'll, he'll do something and I'll just be like, Oh God, that's so good. And it's, and it's all really subtle stuff. You know, the question will be in terms of the future, you know, can he do it for 34 games? Because I'm going to bet you money. The answer is no, that you'll have to be really careful with him in terms of man management over the course of the next year, which is why you can't just have it be one guy. There have to be multiple bodies in all these positions now. It's no longer a case where you can, particularly in Dallas, with as hot as it is, you can't really have. We know Paxton can't play 34 games, right? Even even guys like Farfan, who are as health as we, healthy as you could be and as young. Remember last year, he broke down at the end of the season when they tried to play him for 34 games. He didn't break down physically, but he broke down in terms of his performance. So, you know, we're moving into an era of Major League Soccer where you're not going to have guys play every single game anymore. There are going to be rotations all the time. So that's fine. But, you know, in terms of, like, how you play with him going forward, I think last game is a really good demonstrator of how you do it. You know, you, you want Paxton to excel with those dribble penetrations. He's what he was doing particularly good against uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, last game, he got a little bit lost in the second half when he started trying to do too much. But at his core, it's still there. And he had a really nice game, statistically speaking. So um, that's a really good way forward. And, and there will be defensive guys in there too. And I think it's really exciting. And, and it means in a way that you can move on to trying to fix other things. All right. Can we have real talk? Sure. Here we are. We have two games left. I think it's not unfair for us to make the declarative statement that Dallas has to win this game. Yeah. I mean, it's not a technically a must win by any uh, by any definition, but in a lot of ways, it really is a must win game. They've got to beat Colorado in at home at this critical juncture of the season. Yes. Yeah, if, if you can't beat a, a five-win team in your home field, you don't deserve to make the playoffs. You know, you're right. Mathematically, you could just beat L.A. in the last game. But this is the game in hand. This is the game you have. You don't want to rely on having to go on the road and win when your road record is 3-7-6, and six. <laughs> right? Right. That's bad. Like, so your ability to win on the road this year is particularly poor. Last year was much better. So you, th- yes, this is as much without it mathematically being a must win. This is as must of a must win as you'll see. Okay, but here's the problem. Yeah, we've been watching this club since the very beginning. I know who is who is Dallas's bogey club. Who has <laughs> Dallas's number more than any other MLS club in the twenty however many seasons we've been watching this wonky thing? Colorado. Right, exactly. Colorado is terrible. <laughs> Let me just put this into perspective. In the last 12 games, Colorado has won three of those games. Two of those came against Austin at home and New England at home. Do you know who the third team was that they beat at mm, home? No. Dallas. Yeah. Two to one. Way back, you know, almost three <laughs> months ago. Yeah. That also, you know, MLS Cup is out there. The Rapids have won four of the last games between the two. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Anyone that, you know, and playing for an interim coach, like I said, trying to win jobs. Like if anyone ever doubts 
the, what we're talking about with Colorado, go look up the history of the teams that have eliminated Dallas from the playoffs or from the regular season, and you'll find that more than any other team, it's Colorado. Year after year after year, Colorado has caused this team problems. Uh, they always do. I don't know why. I don't know whether they overlook them or it's the altitude or whatever it is, because it's been here, too, that they've done it. It isn't just on the road all the time. So, I mean, um, yeah. Dallas has the better all-time record against Colorado. It's 35-28-18, and 18, and Dallas, I, amazingly, has a really stellar record against Colorado here in Texas at 26-8-7, and seven. but... I just my <laughs> that all completely does not jive with how my sense my sensibilities are about Colorado being Dallas's bogey team. No, you have to keep in mind the context of games. Like Dallas wins a lot of games that don't matter. The games Colorado screws over Dallas are the in the playoff <laughs> games or these end of the season knock them out of the, the playoff games. It happens. It's happened so like. Ten times maybe this team's knocked Dallas out of it. It's just ridiculous how awful it is. And it, it, it anyone that's been around the whole time knows that. That knows that it's like you, you ask fans from day one, they all hate Colorado because it's happened time and time and time and time again. You think Nico's sweating this at all? Oh, I doubt it because I think he believes in his team. Okay. You know, and I don't think he's feeling any pressure either. Like, if people were worried, think like that this coach is going to get canned if they miss the playoffs. I don't think there's any chance of that at all. It's too, it's too blatantly obvious that without the devastating rash of injuries, we're not even having these conversations at all. You know, or it's too easy to claim that. I mean, maybe you might think that that's not true, but well, this know. is also the same ownership group that fired their manager after selling off their his critical holding midfielder before the start of the season. Yeah, but that was also three years in, and the trend was back, going the wrong direction. You know, and you can go back to when Morrow got canned. It was because there was a really embarrassing loss. You know, and and Clark got canned when Colorado knocked him out of the first round of the playoffs when he was in first place. Year, you know, the whole season. Mm-hmm. So they have emotional reactions occasionally. I don't think this would be one because the the setup of the of the horrible stretch of games from the from those injuries was followed by this rebirth that of good performances in Leagues Cup, you know, and then a, a rash of not losing. I mean, they haven't lost in a long, long time now, mm. you know. So yeah. I think that he'll be able to. I don't think that there's a worry that the team would get. Well, I didn't mean to drag you to that yeah. point. That's not that's I, all right. yeah. No, no, that's fine. It's a good discussion. Uh, all right, 7.30 on Saturday, Colorado in town, critical. Yes, Dallas really, really needs to win that one badly. Yes. Uh, this week, we also found out that the U.S. women's national team is coming back to Frisco, which is exciting, this time against China on December the 5th at Toyota Stadium, so that'll be a lot of fun. I think they're playing China twice they are. in that window, and the second of the two games is the game in Frisco, uh, so that'll be fun. Have they announced a new coach yet? Oh, uh, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't pay that much of attention. I just, you know, I thought it's fun for people to be able to go to the game. It's off World Cup cycle now, so it's like yeah, way off I my radar. I don't think they've hired a coach for the women's team yet. I think it's probably still part of the goodbye Megan Farrenfair, if that's your cup of tea or whatever. Yeah. You know, other think, players they're leaving. You okay. Know. Um, also, hey, I don't know if you even know this, Buzz. The U.S. women's deaf national team won the world championship last weekend, and there is a Dallas resident on that team, Ashley Darrington. 
Um, I've actually, I've uh, been to a couple pickup games that she's played at. She's a really nice person, and so congratulations uh, to them as the as, as they won that. And I I do know that because my wife is actually really really good friends with one of their coaches. So I've actually been to a deaf uh, team camp. Um, oh, cool! And and watched a little bit of it. And my funny story of that is that one of the people that helps out coaching that team is uh, Joy Fawcett. You yeah, know who, the American great. Oh yeah. And uh, she came up to me and because I was with my wife who knows her and and uh, she was like, "Oh, hi, I'm Joy." And I was like, "I said, I literally said, oh, I know who you are.'" <laughs> 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 I was like, "Yeah, I know who Joy Fawcett is." <laughs> and what did Joy say? Yeah, she, she laughed and chuckled. Oh. I said, "It's really nice to meet you." But yeah, I definitely know who you are. <laughs> yeah, the, one of their coaches is. Um, of a, a, a goalkeeper coach that's really good friends with my wife. So Amy is her name is also Amy. Strangely enough, former U.S. Uh, goalkeeper. Uh, and then back uh, to this other part, we got a bunch of U.S. twenty three call ups, including the best story going on in the league, which is uh, Bernie. Yeah, super cool for Bernard Camungo to get a U twenty three call up. Now remember, he is Tanzania eligible, and they called him up, uh, and he did not play because his passport didn't arrive in time. So he's still U.S. eligible. He doesn't need to file a switch or anything. So he's been invited to this camp. I don't know which way the young man will choose to go with his national team career, but whatever. A U23 camp is awesome for him. Um, even if he chooses to go with Tanzania, which is his prerogative, it's still great that he'll get this camp because it'll be really good for him. And some people have lamented that like he's missing for the Rapids game. It's like, dude, if you can't beat the Rapids without Camungo, you don't deserve to be the Rapids. <laughs> this guy's not a starter here. You know, It's much better for him to go to a U23 camp than it is to beer and sit on the bench and tanner game. is got called up in that same group did he not oh yeah tanner did and so did uh johan gomez who's the older brother of jogo johan played for the academy and a little bit for north texas and he went to germany and his plays in some lower division in germany and then the other player that's on that list who's fc dallas connected is jonathan tomkinson who's the kid at norwich oh, he's right. out on loan yeah, yeah. but he's a center back he played for fc dallas and solar both more solar than fc dallas but he um, was a wide player for SC Dallas and then played a little bit of center back, but wasn't my first choice center back here. And he went to Solar, and Solar made him a pure full center back. And then he went to Norwich at, at uh, U18. He went over there on his own and he's worked his way up through there and has made his first team debut since then. And so he's also in this camp. So cool that a local kid, most people call him JT, uh, has broken that far on his own. Really nice to see. Uh, a teammate of mine on my beer league team got to go to a Venezia game last weekend, was in the stands when mm. Tanner scored that goal uh, for their big win that last weekend. And Very uh, cool. That is uh, really cool. Um, I, I got one more question about Bernie. Can I? Okay, go ahead, Bernie. Yep. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to jump on you. I got no, go ahead. I, 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 you've watched him a lot more than I have. Mm -hmm. is, is Bernie, does Bernie have national team potential level potential yes really yeah okay he's got huge upside because you remember the thing you remember about bernie is that he's doing most all this stuff really still on pure instinct yeah i know like that's his, why his, i asked the question yeah his <laughs> tactics are still relatively speaking a disaster like he didn't even kick a real soccer ball that by the way the podcast taylor Swellman did with bernie was phenomenal bernie didn't even kick a real soccer ball till he was 14 he was playing with you know bags of socks and stuff he didn't walk on grass or play on grass until he was 14 when he came here to the United States. He only played high school soccer. He did not play club, you know, so he had no real like high level tactical coaching. So he is way behind on that stuff. And if you watch him play, 
And this coach in particular is really big on that kind of stuff. So if you watch him play, you can see the, the moments where there's a hesitation or a delay because he doesn't really know 100% what to do yet. Even North Texas is not the same as Major League Soccer in terms of tactics. But he has, as Coach mentions, he has incredible instincts in the moment. One-on-one, -on -one, he's able to score massive goals in big opportunities. He rises to the occasion. So the sky's the limit on this kid. It may be that his entire career is in Major League Soccer, but he has the potential, if he gets it all worked out in terms of his tactics and team concepts, to go to a level higher than Major League Soccer. That's great to hear. Very yeah. exciting stuff. Yeah. All right. I jumped on you with that question. Yeah. You had something else you were going to talk no, about. No, there's just sorry. more calls to talk about. Oh, um, sorry. So Antonio Carrera and Nolan Norris are both going to the Pan Am games, which is with basically what is basically like a U20 team plus a few U23 guys. And the thing that's really fun about that is that one of the U23 guys is Nico Carrera, Antonio's other brother. So those guys are going to get to go represent the United States. Where is he playing now? He plays for Holston Kiel. That's right. Yeah, okay. they sent him out on loan last year to play to get some experience, and now he's back with them first team. So he's he's in their first team concept. He doesn't start, you know, but he has made his debut for their first team. So he's, you know, he's he's. I, I couldn't tell you the level comparison, but he's like Corsa, I guess, for the for like for FC Dallas, where he gets a game or two every once in a while. Mostly he's the bench player, but you know he's still only twenty one or twenty two or something. So, you know, lots of upside there still for him. And then Nolan and Antonio will go down there too and have a lot of fun. So um, Antonio Ramirez, who's a player I've talked about a lot from the Academy. He's got another Mexico U18 call up. Um, Steel Cook, who's one of my favorite names in the Academy, got wow. a US U15 call up. It looks like somebody leaked the roster. It's not official yet, but he's on the leaked roster. So that's how is cool. how does how is Steel spelled? S T E E L Steel like metal. Okay, I didn't know. Steel's his nickname. Oh, his okay. actual real name is something else, but everybody just calls him Steel Cook and he calls himself that. I, I don't remember what it is. It's it shows up on the roster as something else. It's um, uh, Chris, oh. Christopher, but he goes by Steel. That's what everybody calls him. I don't. I have no idea where the nickname comes from. I didn't even know his name was Chris until I saw a U.S. roster with it on there one time. Hmm. Um, and then on the ladies' side, let's see, uh, Amiri Adams. I hope I pronounced that correctly. It's not Adams. It's Adamas, maybe of Solar and Ava McDonald of FC Dallas are in the U19 team that's also going to um, the Pan Am Games. And there's another girl that, this is crazy, I had to mention her separately because she plays for Solar. Her name is Amelia Villarreal. She also plays for Michigan Jaguars. So she plays for two different ECNL teams. I don't know how you do that, but <laughs> credit to her that she's playing that much soccer, that like she's jumping back and forth somehow between those teams. She is. She's the byproduct of uh, product of a divorced parents living in two different places. I, yeah, maybe I. I don't know because I missed that she was with Solar because it says Michigan Jaguars on the roster. Interesting. And like if you Google her, her social media says both teams. So I. I don't know how it works, but shout out to her. That's a lot of soccer. And then some girls from Solar: um, Addison Shemek, Emerson, Andreas, and Giselle Aguilar are all in the U15 team, U.S. national team, and. Caroline Swan, which is the girl, uh, Caleb Swan's sister that I mentioned plays for the Defeaters oh, yeah. boys team. Yeah. Yes, DKSC. I, I've double-checked that. She definitely plays for the boys team, so she's also been called up to the U15 girls national team. So That's fantastic. That's a whole bunch of local call-ups, again, just proving how great local DFW soccer is. And you guys should all go watch these kids play because they're awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love you, Buzz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Support local soccer. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, there was something else I wanted to talk about and now I've completely, oh, if, if nobody has read it, go to 
ESPN and go to the Topoke section and read the article that they put out today about the most outlandish kits mm. in world soccer. Have you read it yet? No, Have no, it's, it? uh, it's on the, in the discord. I've been meaning to, uh, yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah. Dude, there are there are kits out there that I have not yet seen, and some of them are amazing. And then some of them are utterly ridiculous. There's a team playing somewhere uh, in Asia that it, their kits are essentially uh, they're like it has like a tie drawn on it, mm. and the and the shorts look like um, suit short, like suit pants, but in shorts with a belt and everything. It's pretty hilarious. So. Um, that's actually a uniform people wear in soccer games. So, uh, yeah, go go check that out. I, I'm definitely going to go read it. I mean, I've been meaning to, but we got off practice this morning. So, uh, all right. Anything else? Yeah, one last thing. Like, if anyone's listening to this podcast, that's one of these people that all the time is talking about how they should be playing. Is that they're as good as this guy or that guy or whatever? Well, both the outlaws and the sidekicks are having combines coming up this month. So if you think that you're actually as good as these guys, go out there and get on one of those teams, get paid to play soccer, and start your upperly mobile soccer career and prove us that you are better than all these guys. You know, that's actually a really good point because if there's an attainable level that yeah. somebody who really thinks they've got game, that might be the best entry point out there. And and that yeah. and that is uh setting aside the idea of NPSL or UPSL because yeah. that's to me is still kind of just basic amateur stuff. Yeah. Um uh yeah. I think there, that's a, there is that, some crossover between indoor and NPSL outdoor some. Sure. Yeah. But those those indoor teams have some of the very best local semi-pro pro players on them of the last decade play on those teams. Those are some really talented local players. These are guys that have advanced into the open cup. These are guys that have flirted around the edges of professional teams or even been full-time professionals, you know, that are on these teams. So like Blas Perez is here now is Blas Perez not for MLS. Well, no, but if you can't get out there and compete with Blas Perez, then you can't compete with anything else above that. So, you know, go prove to us, not to me. I mean, I don't care. But, you know, from time to time I hear I'm sitting in the stands. I hear people say, oh, my dude's better than that guy, man. OK, yeah. now's your well, chance. Get out there for the super cocky of you out there. I specifically challenge you to go try out for the outlaws and let tattoo be your coach. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and Ed Puskarich has taken over sidekicks. That's a dude that's played at the very highest level in this country, MLS and, and things before Yeah, but MLS. Tattoo, I, like it's a miracle to me that Tattoo is still yeah. coaching in 2023 <laughs> because of culture and, um, I mean, Tattoo is such a hard ass as a coach. And I, it's just funny to me that he that he that somebody hasn't complained. I'm sure some. I don't know. He's just so. If you think you're super cocky and you think you're good <laughs> enough, just skip the sidekicks altogether. Go straight to the outlaws and then report back to me how you how you handled tattoo. Yeah, in your tryout session, he'll make you better. And they got Nick Stavros, their assistant, who's a great a former sidekicks and, and coach around here. Sagu's their goalkeeper coach. I mean, both of those teams have really good staffs that will make you better as a player. And if you think that you should be a pro soccer player, that is not a bad first step into proving it. You know, there's guys that have crossed over from those teams to people like North Texas or USL one organizations. It happens. There's, there's a guy leading the a local guy here. That's at the top. We'll talk about him some other week for sure. Who's at the top of the USL one scoring charts now that came out of uh, Denton Diablos. So, you know, and indoor as well. All right. Uh, all right, I think we've covered a lot of stuff today. Yeah, got a little call out at the end there. 
Got a what? I got my call out at the end there. Okay. <laughs> so all the dudes in the standings that lean over and tell me they're better than that guy. Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, you probably do get that a lot, Buzz, because you're that guy everybody thinks <laughs> is somehow the conduit to their future pro career, which is if I just tell Buzz I'm better than those guys, maybe Buzz will point me in the right direction. Well, Buzz has now pointed you in the right direction. Go. Try the one I get even more team. is the people that tell me that um, you know Dallas is missing some some kid or something or that there's some segment of the population that they're not reaching. And I'm like, you know, they, they might be right. It's possible that you're right. This is a way to prove to this. This is the most accessible way is to go to one of these tryouts for these indoor teams who need players because there's plenty of people, players in this market that are good that maybe have missed been missed. You know, you can go play with Jamie Lovegrove and find out how good that guy is. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, again, I hope, uh, it's too bad that, uh, Dan has gone on vacation to some place that he is not allowed to come back and share stories of his adventures. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pretty sure he's with his wife. <laughs> it's I feel not like be that, that would weird. be a fantastic bonus edition of Third Degree, the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Dan in Vegas edition. That would be a lot of fun to hear that story. So, well, well, right. Maybe there'll be some in the Discord. Yeah, well, maybe we'll make a special Dan's uh, Dan's <laughs> vacation story channel yeah, in the Discord. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which by the way, uh, feels like a good time for me to reiterate to everybody that if you are not uh, offering up some sort of tithing to Buzz through his mm. Patreon uh, uh, setup, you should be doing that because not only does it get you access to his fantastic individual podcast episodes that he calls burns which are just short little informational kind of insight into the club or answering questions that are asked of him but it also gives you access to buzz's discord uh, which is for those who are not aware which is a platform that allows you to uh, have just chat rooms with other like-minded people. This one obviously focuses on FC Dallas, but soccer in general, and it's a fantastic community of good human beings. Uh, and I, it's worth every penny you decide to give Buzz, whether it be a dollar or one billion dollars. I don't. I don't have a one billion dollar tier. Maybe I should make one. You should. <laughs> I mean, you know, Dallas has like a bunch of billionaires. So maybe you'll just get lucky, and yeah. one of them just loves you that much. They decide to give you a billion dollars. I, I keep waiting to either win the lottery myself or have somebody I know win the lottery and be like, "Hey, here's you know X Y Z to you can quit your job." You know, you know if somebody if somebody patreons you a billion dollars, you will be required to essentially live in that person's house mm. and uh, be at their beck and soccer call 24-7. I believe that amount would trigger the taxation section of the Patreon to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> They'd get their own Discord? Yeah. Well, no, it's just in the sense that like they, they would actually... Patreon would report that total to the government. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that sure. part would get taxed. Yeah, they would take yeah. their 10% and yeah. then... Um, they would take their 10%. Uh, don't yeah, they would absolutely take their 10%. No, well, that's true. If someone wants to give me a billion dollars, let's skip the Patreon and go straight... Let's go man to man and skip them. Okay, because I don't right. want to give ten percent to Patreon. I will say this more, uh, more <laughs> reasonably: yeah. whether you're going to give Buzz one dollar a month or you're going to give Buzz a hundred dollars a month. Yeah, How about that. There you go. That's fair. I do uh, have a tier for that. See, does anybody use it? No, no. It was I. It was designed for a someone that wanted to sponsorship opportunity and needed a way to facilitate ah. a payment of a sponsorship opportunity. So that's why it exists. No, I don't actually expect someone to give you a hundred dollars a month. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> Man, I love what you do. Here's a hundred dollars a month. That'd be insane. 
You may be a little suspect. Uh, it you, would be sus. I, probably weird. that person probably would have to have would be wanting lunch every week or something, you know. And you probably uh, have to. I mean, yeah, accommodate them <laughs> at a hundred hours a week a month. I probably would have to. I probably would have to accommodate that. Yeah, yeah. you take them to Chiba Hut yeah. once a month. Oh my God, I went there again today. It was so good. Did you really? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's up near. It's vaguely near Toyota Stadium. So like, you know, I it only the new just ones opened. At Preston and what? Uh, it's just south of the tollway off Preston. I say just south, like a mile south of there. You know, so it's where is it? Like on a shop? Is it on one of those? Uh, little, it's on the uh, east strip side centers? of Strip Mall. Yeah, it's near the if you know where the um, Hacienda Ranch is. Oh, on okay. North yeah. Preston. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Okay. Yep. All right. Hmm. I, I I went to the one in Deep Ellum like a year ago, and I enjoyed it. It was great. But it was also not very easy to get to and yeah. convenient for a weekday lunch. So. I mean, I love that place. I never went to the one in Deep Ellum. That's that's really difficult to get it out of. The one in Preston is super yeah. simple. It's in a strip mall. Well, I wish I had thought of that because I was up in uh, Plano for a meeting this morning and I was trying to think of a place to go to lunch and I there totally never even thought about it. So. There you go. Yep. Okay. So I had a salad instead. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there kind of is. I know. When, when there's Where a thing. Yeah. yeah. Third Degree, the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. They got all the soccer stuff you can need. European gear, FC Dallas gear, North Texas Soccer Club. Man, they got it all. They got the new winter stuff. Pretty cool. Very classic stuff for that there. Good for years and years. Soccer90.com. Listeners from Third Degree, the podcast, get 20% off your order when you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. All right, Buzz. Thanks so much, man. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks for being here, Boston. Yeah, always. And uh, hopefully Dan will be back next week. And uh, thank you, you FC Dallas Curious fan. You, We will speak to you next week on another th- episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Vegas, baby. Vegas. Third Degree.